Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011. So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. In season three, we covered even more great adaptations like The Night of the Hunter and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series. We talked about No Country for Old Men. The Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book. In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know, maybe? We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There. Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself. <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor? Because this chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump adapted from Winston Groom's novel, plus Apollo 13 based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell. And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief, all based on books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game. Video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source, just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast. Check out the full list at thenextreel.com slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. Um, Have you heard heard the big news? (laughs) What? No. Should I have not pushed the button yet? No. Is Is this public news? I sometimes because you sometimes do secret. I know I heard about Paul Rudd. It's it's the it's the news about uh, Lars von Trier and Nymphomaniac. <laughs> no, I know you're so excited about this film that um, I feel like we should talk about that. Tell me. He's going back and he's redoing it all, but what? he's shooting in 3D, 48 frames per second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I just made that news up. Yeah, <laughs> oh, what a day. What a day. So speaking of, uh, hey, did you hear? I played a hooky today. Oh, really? I yeah. did. Well, only for a few hours. And uh, I did I did go back to see, uh, you know, because we did this week, we had we gathered the film board, uh, the usual thugs uh, gathered, and we talked uh, all about The Hobbit, Desolation of Smaug. Mm. And uh, uh, deepest st- thanks to uh, Tom Metz and... Steve Sarmento, the blog whisperer, uh, for their fantastic contributions to that show. It was a great conversation. Uh, it was just last week, so you can't miss it if you subscribe to the show. Anyway, all that said, that's front matter. Uh, I Wait. had only seen it in 2D, or in 3D, but real 3D. It was a regular 24 frames per second. Right. And so I wanted to go back and see if they had made any improvements in it. What do you, what do you think I'm going to say? I, I don't think you're going to find any improvements in it. <laughs> you know what? I found some. I was I was pleasantly <laughs> surprised. First of all, I, I do I, I have to note it is appreciably brighter and more vivid and than uh, 3D standard 24 frames 3D. That that is an obvious uh, upsell in the film. It's great. It, it is. Just, is that an upsell? No, or that's is not it... the word I meant. It's a definite. Uh, what's the word I'm, I want to say here? Uh, it's definitely it's an improvement compared to regular twenty four frames. Does don't uh, you feel it makes it look plasticine? Well, and really, I'm just talking about the the, the looking through because you know you in, when you go to the three D film, the three D version of the film, it's it's dim, right? It's it's dimmer. Don't you notice that? It, it depends on the theater. It, no, it does depend on the theater. Some theaters have very poor three D systems, and I absolutely note that in some places, whereas Not others so much have, in others. It depends. Yeah, yeah. The, we have a couple chains uh, in my area. One of which, if I want to see something in 3D, I know I can count on them to play it uh, in a way that looks good. Oh, I, I need to shop that around a little bit. We were we were shopping on time the first time we saw it, and, and sure, couldn't sure. go to the theater that I usually uh, uh, attend. Uh, but but in this case, I went to the to one of two of the um, IMAX 48 frames uh, 3D showings, and I'll tell you what, the, uh, besides the brightness, here are the things that they got 
uh, that was the same. The things that were the same from last year that I remember being really upset about, and they're the same. F- number one, it's still uh, on on any of the indoor like lower light shot uh, sequences. It still looks like Telemundo, like mm-hmm. it looks like the very best soap opera. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's. It just doesn't. Does Telemundo host the best soap operas? You know, it, it looks like it's like hyper dramatized. You know, it looks right, like, it right. looks so crystal clear. It's like <laughs> it's like they're trying too hard or something. You know, right. I don't I don't know. It just it, it, that feel to it. It just was not. Real. It yeah. was not great. The opening scene in uh, uh, the Prancing Pony was just like laughable stage play. You know, I mean, it mm-hmm. was just it, it was too fake. Uh, it looked yeah. like a set. So yeah. that was bad. The exteriors of people running in fields. I don't know if you're aware of this. That happens quite a bit in this film. Yes, People run in field. That looks like uh, the Lego version of the movie. It's like <laughs> Le- <laughs> Lego, Lego Hobbit, and and I think that's they probably will be great models when they come out with Lego Hobbit. Um, it, it just it was just it's laughable. Now, yeah. related, while the human characters. And the dwarves and the you know those played by actors look ridiculous still like ridiculous and I I need to say parenthetically ridiculous to the point that I honestly wonder if Peter Jackson ever actually watched this thing in a theater like <laughs> how you could do that and say you know what let's do what we did with the Hobbit that was so great let's do it again how you could come to that conclusion and and release this ridiculousness is I, I don't understand it and how you could have these people that uh, the other directors come out and say well I'm really evaluating 48 frames per second you know what don't evaluate it looks bad right now now okay so what did they what did they do right uh the characters the cg characters they nailed uh, I thought Azog and Blog, or what is his name? Blorg? His son. <laughs> what was his name? I don't know. Bolg. Bolg, I think. <laughs> I'm just going to call him Blog. <laughs> you know he, what? He should start up. Yeah, he should. T- yeah. <laughs> it's right. He should. A wiki. Yeah. Uh, anyhow, they, they looked fantastic. And I don't know if you remember from our conversation last year, they did not look fantastic. Right. Uh, in. Uh, last year's edition, um, so that was uh, that was a problem. Um, it's still, you know, I still suffer from that uh, rapid mo- motion thing, and this was, you know, too. It it just seemed like it was speeding up and slowing down, and that the audio was out of sync, and that it was just too it was too crisp. Uh, so I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I I vastly enjoyed it. Uh, uh, more than uh, uh, more in the the regular 3D. This was this. It was not. It certainly wasn't worth 17 bucks. You know. Jeez, is that? What? Yeah, 17.50 to go oh. see this thing. It was it was ridiculous. What do you walk out and you're like, wow, that was a great video game I just watched. Yeah, right. It's very frustrating. And and uh, I I I know we all have different eyeballs and different brains that are perceiving of what's coming in those eyeballs. But I I'm in that state where I just can't rationalize this as a movie it's not a movie and it it's uh it's not a film and i I have a really hard time getting into it it really looks like like people playing uh games on a big screen it makes you wonder 
what uh, other filmmakers are going to jump on board. I mean, I haven't heard of a single other filmmaker who has said, I'm going to go shoot this. I mean, yes, maybe some people have been evaluating, but this is, it's a couple of years now. This is the yeah. second film to have been shot this way. And they started shooting this, I don't know how many years ago. I, I, right. I would think that if somebody else had really been passionate about it, they may have started by now. I, I You know, I was thinking a similar thing, that it, it just felt like, uh, it feels like this is, uh, you know, hopefully it's not catching on all that much. I, you know, but we've we've heard, you know, Captain Avatar, I think, is is looking pretty closely at this, and his films take an awful long time to, yeah, to uh, to hit. So, yeah, I hope he doesn't. I, you know, I do too. Um, I'll tell you though, the uh, you know the uh, seeing the the big screen Amazing Spider-Man two trailer looked great in three D. Mm. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Uh, Walter Mitty, I don't think Walter Mitty is going to be a 3d film but it looked sure looked good on that big screen oh i bet it's gorgeous i can't that's i i think of uh, you know all the christmas films that's certainly the one i'm looking forward to most yeah maybe of the year i mean i i'm very excited about this movie really yeah Uh, i'm excited too i don't know if it's most excited for of the year but i am excited for it i hope i'm excited for it sometimes his sense of humor ends up not working for me it's one of those. It's one of those things. It, it it can go one way or the other. So I'm waiting to see it. I'm. I'm well, I mean, this is no. This is no Zoolander two. Let's just say that it's not Zoolander two, That's nor right. is it Tropic Thunder two. I was, you know, I made the thing about. I said the thing about Paul Rudd. I thought you were going to say Paul Rudd's been cast as uh, Ant Man. You know, but I I, I I had to do my my silly joke. <laughs> I know. No, that was good. I liked your joke. Uh. I just want to come back to that because uh, yes, I think that's I know. interesting. It's, it's, it's an Edgar Wright thing that we're excited about. Yes, I am quite excited. I'm sorry, Ant I'm Man. Little... Did you see the thing uh, I posted? <laughs> I <don't know> <laughs> <laughs> oh my! I'm gonna just let that sink in. Ant Man. You know what? Let's take a break here and tell the people where we're from. Shall we do that? Let's tell us where we're from. We are from thenextreel.com, people. Thank you so much for joining us the Next Real Podcast. I'm Pete Wright. That's Andy Nelson. And uh, we spoil movies. It's the thing we do. Uh, you can find out more about us at thenextreel.com, which you should do. And from there, you should subscribe to the show in iTunes, or uh, you can follow us on SoundCloud, or you can uh, uh, Stitcher Smart Radio, or pretty much anywhere, uh, uh, you know, find podcasts or surf. You should, you should subscribe to the show. That is the number one thing that we would, if this Christmas season, you want to get something for me and Andy, make sure you subscribe to the show. That's, what, that's all we want. It's, it's just for you to join us as a subscriber. And it's free. Like, you don't even, it's just a little bit of your time. That's all we ask for. So, uh, from there, you can uh, join the conversation at facebook.com slash the next reel or plus.google.com slash plus the next reel podcast. Yeah, pretty much go to the website and you'll find all this. Oh, things. that's a lot of pluses. Andy, you know what you need to tell us about? You need to tell us about the Instagram Guess the Movie hashtag Pony Prize contest. How's it coming along this week? Good. It was, you know, it was a pretty, uh, a pretty fun week getting into the spirit. Uh, the movie this week was a Christmas story, and uh, Robot Gremlin managed to nail it after a few images. And so, congratulations to him. He is entered to win our pony prize. That's epic. We got a new one starting up tomorrow. So uh, now tomorrow, that's going to lead us right through Christmas. It will. The it will. day it will be so. 
What's your What's your bet? Do you think someone's going to get it by Christmas? I have a feeling they will. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I'm saying it's easy or anything, but I just have a feeling. I have a feeling. I have a feeling that there are going to be, be, be people who will nail it. <laughs> so, we'll would, see. I, would I nail it? Uh, you probably would. Really? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay, this will be I, good. I don't, I don't think I'm going too hard this week. All right. All right. <laughs> I look forward to that. Alrighty. Uh, don't forget, folks. We the the last thing we need to talk about is uh, you head over to iTunes or um, yeah, pretty much iTunes, right? You can leave uh-huh. reviews uh, for the show anywhere you want to leave us a review. You can leave us a review on Facebook too and our, on Google Plus, but iTunes especially. If you leave us a review there, uh, we will uh, uh, enter you to uh, join our drawing to pick the movie. It's our pick the movie drawing. Uh, where you get to to uh, choose a film that we're going to talk about on the show in 2014, and you get to join us on the call and and introduce the the uh, film and and share with us why why it's important to you that we uh, that we talk about it and what you love about it. So we look forward to hearing from some of you folks. Yeah, uh, leave us a comment. We're pretty excited. We got three of those opportunities coming up in 2014. So yeah, excellent. Yeah. All right, that's all I had. All right then. Back to Paul Rudd. I just want to say this one thing, which I think may be funny, but I'm not sure if it's funny yet. Did you see the post about his long-running joke on Conan O'Brien? You know, I saw the post. I didn't actually go in and watch all of the the clips, but I I read about it, and I think it is pretty funny. I think it's funny. I, you know, I'm I'm a little bit circumspect that you know Conan isn't somehow in on it. Yeah, he doesn't actually know that these trailers. So the the whole the whole gist of it is that. Every time for the last, I think, 15 years or something since Paul Rudd started guesting on Conan O'Brien, appearing on Conan O'Brien as a guest. We don't need to make that a mm-hmm. verb. Uh, and so uh, since he started doing this, he's he, no matter what movie he's plugging, he always sends the cl- same clip. And it's a clip of the boy in the wheelchair rolling off the cliff, and it's from the movie uh, Mac and Me or something. <laughs> and... <laughs> And the concept is it's it's funny first, and then it's one of those things that gets really old. And you think, okay, this this is old. Conan's mad, and and you think Paul Rudd's either a genius with an obscene amount of patience, or he's really pretty dumb. And then <laughs> it starts getting funny again, kind of miraculously. Like it starts getting funny again, especially the episode where he uh, or the, the you know the clip where he. He plays it once. Conan gets mad at him and says, "You, why do you do this? He said, well, I know. I've been kind of messing with you. So, you know, the the studios get really mad at me when I do it this way. So I've decided I'm, I, I have also brought the real clip. And it turns out it's not the real clip. It's, he plays <laughs> the same clip not only once but twice in the same interview. <laughs> and, and I don't know. I, I don't know kind of what to think of it. But you watch the clip together, it ends up being uh, fairly humorous. It's, it's a good funny. It's the funny of the week. Uh, so check that out on the on Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah. Good old Paul Rudd. I've always loved him. Oh, Paul. Any other news we should we need to talk about? Well, there were a few sad deaths this week. <sighs> totally. I know. We lost Peter O'Toole, who was uh, you know one of just the uh, the classic actors who you know I mean everybody brings up Lawrence of Arabia, but I think uh, there are 
many, many, many movies that he's done that he's just genius in. And he's been in many, many bad movies, too. But somehow he still manages to pull off a great performance. I mean, he was in, what was that horrible movie he was in with Ben Affleck that they shot in Colorado? Uh, Phantoms? Is that what it was? I don't care. All I can think of is Camelot. It was it was Phantoms with Rose <laughs> Rose McGowan. <laughs> See, I'm stuck on it now. Uh, Leif Schreiber, Ben Affleck, and Peter O'Toole. Terrible. It was based on a Dean R. Koontz novel, and it was really terrible, really really terrible film. But you know, even in a bad movie like that, he pulled it off. So. Was <laughs> <laughs> uh, named a distant moon ago here. No, even in that he July pulled off. Well. August cannot be too. Hot. Oh, look at you go! I know I could do the whole thing. That's the that's the thing. But the thing yeah. lands a lot. And oh, Camelot. Also, we lost the lovely Joan Fontaine. Same day. I didn't even hear about that one. Yeah, Joan what? Fontaine. She died the same day, and overshadowed by uh, Peter O'Toole, but definitely. Uh, another incredibly talented actress, Rebecca, Suspicion, Letter from an Unknown Woman. She was, uh, uh, and uh, you know, notoriously known, I think, for the, uh, the, I don't know if it's quite lifelong feud, but she certainly had a feud for a very long time with her sister, Olivia de Havilland. So. Wow. So yeah, so it was a, kind of a, uh, one of those weeks. That's crazy. Yeah. Huh. So, well, anyway, yeah, it's a I, think that's all I, was... I think that's all I have for news. All right. Well, that was Sad. that was downer news. Let's talk about trailers. You introduced me to my trailer this week, Andrew, and I am very thankful that you did. <laughs> Do you know this movie feels like we're going to talk about my trailer for the week uh, is uh, "Welcome to Tomorrow." Yesterday. To yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> I've been getting that messed up all day. That's horrible. Uh, so, welcome to yesterday, and it is. Uh, it looks fantastic. It, it's got. A, it's kind of a cross for me between. It's. It's got that sort of found footage vibe to it, uh, ish. Uh, it feels a lot like uh, Chronicle, mm-hmm. which I I loved, and it's kind of a cross between Chronicle and uh, Primer. You know, um, yeah. I I'm very excited about it, and. Uh, it's it's that sort of um, you know it feels like that sort of lightweight kind of actiony thriller time travel movie that I I need uh, coming up this coming up uh, what is it this summer yeah it comes out uh, two thousand fourteen yeah, did, did it have a date I'm checking uh, uh, well, February for, February twenty eighth I'm searching for it again as Welcome to Tomorrow which doesn't <laughs> exist as the film. You have a hard on. time if you keep searching for it that the way. Thing, you know, the thing I'm worried about a little bit is the, uh, you know, it's it's a new team, a uh, fairly new team. Got a couple of films, but uh, Dean Israelite as a director has got a uh, you know, handful of films uh, behind it, but none none big. Jason Pagan and Andrew Stark have been uh, are writing uh, Paranormal, Paranormal Activity Life. 5. As you know, I'm not a huge fan of Paranormal Activity. I, I hear that I should be by some people <laughs> i can't remember if you're one of them I, I i i've only seen the first one but i liked it yeah you're sort of one of them i'm sort of one of those people i don't know i get nervous when it has a five after it yeah i i'm curious to see it i i'm way behind on the that series but one of these days i'll catch yeah. up i think the big name attached to uh welcome to yesterday 
is Michael Bay as one of the producers. As a producer, exactly. So I, I, don't, I don't know if that makes it better. I don't know either, but uh, it does look like it's going to be a lot of fun. It looks like, you know, it kind of has that butterfly effect sort of feel. It just, you know, jumping around in time and these kids trying to sort out how they manage to screw everything up. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, uh, I'm very excited to see it. Uh, it. It looks like a fun take on a, on a trope that I, um, I, I like a lot. Let's just say that. Yeah. And I'm telling you, I think it would be fun to maybe sometime in the future plan a time travel series. In which case, I won't need to worry because it's probably already done. <laughs> That's right. We've already talked about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. We should do, That's what we should do, actually. We should record a time travel series and then go back and put it in the podcast <laughs> feed two years ago. There you go. It can be the first series we did. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was the first series we did. Exactly. <laughs> oh, good right. call. Uh, good tell call. me about your trailer. I'm excited. You know, I'm pretty excited about your trailer, too. Yeah, I'm quite excited. And it's uh, it's Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, the uh, the trailer came out for this. And it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. It's It takes place 10 years after the last one left off when this virus had been unleashed, kind of wiping out a vast majority of humans and now there's a kind of these human survivors trying to survive in this world where these apes are taking over and you know they're all scary looking as we've talked about <laughs> in the in the movie posters that they release they're very scary looking apes but uh, Gary Oldman looks like he's kind of leading this uh this band of humans as they try to find a way to live with these apes and then Jason Clark uh from uh, Zero Dark 30 we talked about um, looks kind of like the James Franco role. Maybe he's the one who's trying to kind of create the connection between. It's hard to tell from the trailer, but um, boy, I tell you, it looks like it's just, it looks like a lot of fun. Oh. oh, yes, it does. And the apes look just unreal. I mean, they really, they're real. They look real. They do. And they, they look, look so real that it's unreal. It, well, and we don't see a lot of like ape motion. Not a lot. It's... I mean, you see just a little bit of it. Yeah, uh, but they really. I mean, it looks, it looks Andy Circus again. Yeah, that if anybody deserves an Oscar in this business that hasn't had one, this is the guy. Yeah, absolutely. For something, uh, you know, one of my favorites, Carrie Russell, is in this film. Carrie Russell, Judy Greer, who I think is always hilarious, and uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who's popping up. Uh, he hadn't. He was in the road and let me in. Right. Just to see him kind of growing up a little bit more yeah. and seeing. Stepping into some more uh, teenish or teenage sort of roles now that he's kind of getting into that awkward stage. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we'll see if he can pull it off better than some others had. Exactly. So exactly looks yeah, very good. That's next July, and uh, boy, I just uh, I really can't wait. This is going to be a lot of fun. Next July. Well, at least it's not like Interstellar. Yeah. Like one year from right now. <laughs> really. Uh, I know, they really pushed that one for us. Uh, anyway, very excited. July 11th, 2014. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Absolutely. See, see it for Caesar. Or he'll come to your house. <laughs> or, yes. And sit on you your television want... while you sleep. <laughs> you don't want to make Caesar mad. No, do not anger Caesar. <laughs> Fantastic. And now, wrapping up our epic foreign film series, City of God. Wheel de Janeiro. 
beach, the nightlife, the romance. But 15 miles from paradise is a place called the City of God. A place where one man must infiltrate a war between two crime lords to tell a story the world needs to know. The New York Times proclaims irresistible, an exuberant chronicle of crime. A true masterpiece. City of God. It's, it's like the, the tagline on the front of the Blu-ray. It says, 15 miles from paradise, one man will do anything to tell the world everything. That's exactly it. And that's, it. tell me, that is that what the movie's about to you? Yeah, I read that. I'm like, what is this? What is this? The, the copywriter did not read, did not see the movie. Oh, this is this is like Harvey Weinstein's Miramax machine at its best. <laughs> totally, this is the in a world trailer, and and it's so funny. It's because you, I almost, I got the feeling was I was watching it with my my wife. She was kind of zoning in and out, and I said, I I honestly feel like after watching that trailer, I feel like the guy who wrote the copy here was given the movie, but he didn't actually speak, you know, Portuguese and uh, it wasn't subtitled, and so he just kind of took from what he was watching. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe you could maybe weave that together. Oh, it's hilarious. This is an it, this is a fantastic film. It's like a roller coaster. It's a, this is an incredible roller coaster for me emotionally to watch this movie. Uh it does so many things incredibly well. City of God 2002 di- directed by Fernando Mireles and Katja Lund. Mireles. Mireles? Is that what you say? Mireles, yeah. Mireles, you sound like <laughs> the male Siri. <laughs> That that was the Mireles. male series. Mireles, Fernando Mireles. I was I was using your fantastic little Forvo. Forvo.com. Did you did you use for that all, for this? For all pronunciation needs. Oh yay. <laughs> did you get the uh the writer? Uh there's two. There's Higgis and Zarzur. <laughs> Wait a Higgis minute. Higgis is the Higgis is the female and Zarzur is the male. Wait, what about uh Br- Braulio Mantovani? Oh, the writer, that writer. I thought yeah. you meant. The, sorry, I meant that was the speaker. That oh. was the person who spoke. This. Uh, I'm oh. all yeah. Braulio Mantovani. Braulio Mantovani. Braulio. Braulio Mantovani. Oh, man, is the language just captivating for you? Oh, I love Portuguese. I don't care what these guys are saying. I don't. I mean, I could just close my eyes and get lost in it. Mm-hmm. It is captivating for me. It is a good language. Well, this was a good talk. Yep. <laughs> Uh, anyway, back to the emotional roller coaster of this movie. Um, so it's uh, it's it's a coming of a <laughs> coming of age crime drama. Yeah, and uh, it, it is about these. It, we really follow these uh, a series. A couple of boys, uh, two boys in particular, but uh, a group of boys as they grow up in an incredibly violent uh, part of uh, Rio. Yeah, the or, city of God or Rio de Janeiro. <laughs> Courtesy Forvo. That was so good. That's me. That was me. That was not you. That was me. Well, that was pretty good. Thank you. You know, I don't speak Portuguese, so that means nothing. <laughs> I know. I know. Okay. But thank you anyway. You're welcome. You're welcome. So uh, it, it's a coming of and and it, it goes from being a, a, a really uh, beautiful and touching portrait of uh, the, the peril of youth in poverty. Right mm-hmm. uh, to a horrifically violent 
sort of mafia style uh, uh, kill fest, right? Crime fest. Mm. Uh, back to uh, a sort of a you know what a touching kind of coming of age story, and and it's it is uh, it's just amazing to watch. I I it's it's really gut wrenching. About halfway through, it is just gut wrenching, and I find I don't really uncurl for the remainder of the film. Yeah, there are some incredibly hard scenes to watch in this that uh, really, uh, like you said, I mean, it just makes it it puts you right into these situations that. I mean, it's it's hard to get past ever, you know, finding anything to like about some of these characters yeah. ever again. Yeah, you know, there were there were sequences of of uh, things in here that that made me uncomfortable, like American History X uncomfortable. You know. Yeah. Oh. Um, uh, yeah. I think we're talking about probably the the scene with the runts. Yeah. Is the one that's the most hard for me to watch. Yeah, I feel, let's uh, let's t- talk a little bit before we get there. Let's talk a little bit about the the story for you and and uh, you know, why because this was one that I think you threw into the to the mix for the foreign film series, yes? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, I, but I, I think, think it was one that we both loved. Oh, but, totally, yeah. totally. I just yeah. I, I hadn't thought of it and I wonder I wonder if you could share what what triggered um, you know, your memory for this. Why is this at the top of your list? This is this was a film that uh, yeah I mean I I have I've, I've been down to Brazil and I have a kind of an attachment with it and so I try to uh, you know see any Brazilian films I can when I get the chance and and I remember I went to the theater and I watched this and I hadn't heard anything about it it's just one of those movies that I wanted to catch it looked pretty interesting and it was getting some buzz and so um, I mean this is one of those films that you watch and it just like I opens your eyes to the magic of cinema again. It, just the the tools that filmmaker can use when they're telling a story and in a really unique and creative way, especially a story that has so many characters and takes place over a number of decades. And it just w- weaving this tale of one person, and well, uh, really these two people, like you said, they are our protagonist and our antagonist, through this story of their childhood all the way up to really kind of, you know, uh, the protagonist kind of finding himself and figuring out what he's going to do with his life and seeing how the the world that he has grown up in and a part of complicates that and really makes it uh, a challenge for him. I, I don't know. It's just uh, uh, the way that the filmmakers and the writer um, and the author of the original book all kind of tie this together. So you're not just getting this glimpse of life in the favelas in in Brazil um, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, but you're also getting this this uh, this story of this kid as he's just dealing with this life every day and just the ups and downs and the goods and the bads and just the awfulness that he sees all the time. And pair that with the really unique storytelling style where you have you know these titles of, of popping up all through the film the story of the tender trio the story of the apartment the story of Lil Z uh, you know the yeah. flirting with crime and, and you get kind of these little glimpses and, and it's almost like little mini flashbacks and sometimes flashbacks within flashbacks and just so you can kind of get a backstory built into something so you can build to a full story and uh, I just found it so uh, I mean it's definitely an in your face Style. We've talked about films like that in the past that are very in-your-face style of filmmaking that put the style right in front of you. I mean, Martin Scorsese certainly does that. Edgar Wright certainly does that. It's not a yee type of film where we're stepping back and kind of watching things from afar. This is really in-your-face all over the place. 
and it, but it really is just invigorating. And I, I don't find it hard to follow the story. I just latch right onto it all the way through. And I get really attached to Rocket, our hero, as we kind of see him go through this journey of life in uh, the city of God. It is, uh, you know, I love that you bring up the the side stories. It is told for me very much like a novel, at where, um, you know, rather than taking a, a a straight kind of linear linear emotional approach, right, where you where you just sort of build this this sense of intensity over the course of of the story, we have these little these little journeys. And w- what's fantastic about the journeys, it feels very much to me like it was written. Um, like the the screenplay was written off the book uh, in pieces like this. Like you know, we're going to tell this story of of uh, you know the the trio, or we're going to tell this story with uh, about violence, and we're gonna we're gonna tell these little pieces. And and uh, the magic in it is is just how well that narrative uh, sort of weaves back together as a whole, particularly as they're jumping through time, because that that ends up being kind of a a, a place where you can get lost because of uh, particularly when you're looking at the cultural differences, you know, and, and trying to track how these people age uh, over time and keep track of the characters. It wasn't as, as easy for me to keep track of who everybody was in this film uh, the first couple of times I've, I saw it. But, um, uh, you know, I, I, I found it uh, addictive. Uh, the story itself was addictive and, and, um, it was very powerful, and it's funny the way your allegiances change in this film, right? Yeah, like, yeah, absolutely. I, insofar as I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I deeply, uh, you know, cared for uh, Rocket, uh, Alexandra Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. You do it, whatever it is. No, you you sounded fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you know, he's our he really is our protagonist. We get we 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 hear his voice throughout the film, um, but we uh, you know we. We meet little Zay uh, early on in the film, and we we look at this kid who is being sort of stepped on um, by the older thugs, and uh, we don't find out until later just the extent to which he, at the time, had had been exercising his violence. But in the beginning, we find ourselves thinking, or at least I find myself thinking, gosh, this is a character I want to watch and, and sort of care about because, you know, he's a character that's going to change somehow. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we're going to watch him grow. He'll be interesting to watch. But but there are a lot of little kids in this in the early part of this film. So, you know, who knows? And and as it turns out, you you do love him, and, and then you don't. Uh, then you discover kind of who he is and and his first foray into violence, and then you meet his friends. You meet Benny, and Benny, who seems like a thug uh, that you meet earlier, and you you sort of are resentful of early on. You end up uh, you end up really loving at the end of the film, and and um, uh, and and then we get to um, uh, oh, what's his name, the tall guy. Knockout Ned. Knockout Ned, right? We get to knockout yeah. Ned, who you you love again in the beginning when you see him, and then you realize he's he's uh, you know as yeah, dark a character as as they come, and and so well, this and the tragic figure, he's tragic, really the tra- yes, yeah. absolutely, absolutely, uh, and and so um, yeah, it it is a wonderful story of of sort of transferring allegiance uh, through these characters for me, and uh, and and I think it just weaves together in, into a a beautiful. Um, a beautiful film, hard to it, watch. It, it's but it's I, but it's it's one of those ones that I think is just because it's just so invigorating and it definitely has some hard to watch stuff. On the whole, though, I I, uh, 
I, I, I don't know. I guess it's it's not like Straw Dogs hard to watch. It's right. just like intense and awful, um, even though it, it, I think very compelling also. But this one, the, the, the <clears throat> excuse me, the vibrance of the filmmaking uh, and, and maybe as an as, as an outsider, the vibrance of the filmmaking really seems to reflect the culture. Also, it it gives a constant energy to everything going on in their lives, whether it's, you know, prepping a chicken to to kill, to cook up and eat or or a crime or, uh, you know, flirting and hanging out on the beach and taking pictures of your friends. All of it ends up having this this different energy that becomes just exciting and it's uh it 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 becomes this um uh, i don't know i i just find the energy it's almost like this welcoming uh hand like inviting me into the film even though then i have to sit through scenes like watching uh little z go and 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 kill the or you know take care of the runs as it were mm-hmm. And which is just, I mean, it's one of the most, God, that scene is so hard to watch. It's a scene I think I block from my mind every time I watch it because then it comes up and I'm like, oh, I don't want to have to watch this again. It's just, it's so painful to see that scene and to see what he makes uh, steak and fries do to kind of initiate him into the gang and uh, and see how it transforms his life. And, and even the scene where, uh, when we're looking at the story of Knockout Ned and he, who is a person that we think, yes, he involves himself in this war because he wants to get revenge. He still seems to have some decency when it comes to kids, but it's but it's blinded by the fact about what his own damage in this world, as he's gotten into it now, has done to these kids and how that turns around on him at the end of his story. I mean, it's it's very interesting to see how that plays out, but equally tragic as you're just watching just the brutality that ends up in the lives of everybody in these communities. I mean, the, I think early on when Steak and Fries, uh, uh, the kid who kind of latches on to Little Z and Benny, um, his mom is kind of pulling him along like, I don't want you to hang out with those guys. But it doesn't take long. It's like the next time we see Steak and Fries, he kind of is is like, oh, what can I do for you? And, you know, they have him running errands and he becomes, he's kind of that at that low level. Uh, and it's just like the mafia. It's I mean, I, I've read a lot of this film getting compared to Goodfellas. It very much is that same story of these world of uh, these these crime worlds and how they kind of lure young generations in by the the fancy cars and and the great clothes that they're wearing and all the women and whatever else and just the wads of money and you see these young people getting lured into that and slowly moving up the ranks to become these these horrible criminals and it's it's very tragic and it's a very real thing that goes on in these favelas that the uh, the movie actually comes with a documentary made by uh, Katya Lund, one of the two filmmakers who directed this. It's a documentary she had previously made um, about the favelas and life here in in this world of um, of City of God and and how it looks specifically like at the at the law enforcement, at the uh, the the criminals and at the dwellers, and so you really get it from different perspectives of what life in these worlds uh, or in this world is like. And it's I mean it's a tragic play, way to grow up. It really is. But what else are you going to do when you grow up in that world? What other choices do you have? I mean, obviously Rocket finds that path, but it's a hard one. It it is an an interesting lesson on sort of that that 
that cultural mirror, you know? I mean, what is it what is it that that we need to see when we watch this movie about ourselves, you know? Because it's it at at the same time that it's telling this fantastic story about uh how difficult it is to grow up in um this sort of unrestrained capitalism, right? This this mm-hmm. sort of uh you know, what happens when you put a lot of people, a lot of need uh extremely high demand and limited supply of everything. Um, you know, what happens when, you know, when we start to see, um, you know, microculture take over. And I, I think there are two examples of that that I, I think are really interesting. The first one is when uh, Rocket and Alexander, or Alexander, Angelica, uh, mm. played by um, Alice Braga, are smoking a joint Ooh. on the beach. Yep. Right. And there's this wonderful sequence where the, the runts come up. And they ruin the romance of the whole thing, you know, right. the, the smoking a joint on the beach part. But uh, and and he just he leaves them the joint. But what I thought was so interesting about that was even at this young age, right? What we're seeing in these runs is a sense of of them taking power early, and in this case, it's social power, right? I mean, they they feel uh, no problem uh, running up and and just disrupting whatever exists at whatever social construct would otherwise exist in in, in the world that we know, right? Uh, these these kids are otherwise you know uh, old enough to be aware, and they're already finding themselves taking power and and you know what does that mean uh, to this to these people to have their youth so you know in in such a place of of disruption and I think we see that uh, as the film unfolds, but the other is uh, what happens when uh, that power ends up uh, uh, exerting itself fully right when we see Lil Zay. Uh, kind of become the leader of the land, right? You know, he he takes over, and crime actually goes down significantly, right? Absolutely, there? yeah. Okay. No, it totally goes down. <laughs> well, I was sorry, just I was, talk, talking, I was just taking nobody. a drink. Uh, no, but it, you know, it goes down to to nothing when we have this unrestrained uh, kind of mafia style. Uh, uh, market completely controlled market and yeah. um, and and there there then is no more fair trade of of crime uh, and and he has the monopoly on all of it and as soon as they they uh, you know when when power is balanced in that way um, you know between the two crime lords things were fine temporarily but only as long as you know ego will out and and uh, in in you know this sort of lawless it's it's very much the the wild west of um you know in from a from a legal perspective right i mean there just is the, the it's the law of power and right. uh and and who you know who chooses to take power and and who chooses to restrain um is is a fascinating view uh through this lens and particularly through the lens and the setting like i it's just not something i've seen uh Right. presented in this way uh you know it just it feels hot and just disgusting it feels just horrible to to just imagine yourself there based on what we know it gives you that sense of of discomfort that i think is is um it's a powerful gift from from this film for me yeah it really does give you a sense of place and and a sense of this world that these people grow up in um uh, and the interesting thing is i well i, I think uh, one part of that aside from the look of the film which i think is just a stunning look and it, i mean even it was nominated for you know best cinematography um but i think another part of that is the fact that 
the the two directors and uh, uh, the the team really felt that the best way they could capture this was find people who had uh, a sense of that experience, and so they actually went to went to some of these places like City of God uh, and cast a lot of people who had never really acted before and kind of trained them in acting and kind of got them, gave them a sense of, you know, what it was all about. And because those people could bring that real presence to it. And I think they trained them more in like, this is how you do a gunfight and stuff like that. And then they, uh, but the people have this real sense and all of these faces all through the film just feel so authentic and they feel uh, like, uh, like I feel like they've lived there, and it's the difference of seeing somebody um, like I'm just trying to think of an example. Um, uh, well, I think a lot of westerns, like you see somebody put into a western, like I don't know why Bruce Campbell is coming to mind, but somebody like Bruce Campbell, even if they dirty him up, he's still going to look kind of like a Hollywood actor, but. And it's like what we talked about with Clint Eastwood. He's a guy who would find the right faces when he did the Outlaw Josie Wales um, that looked like people who could authentically have been living in the Old West. Well, I think what and you're it, getting at, too, is The Wire is a, is a great sort of contemporary yeah. example of exactly this story, right? I mean, Baltimore using right. people who live there as actors talking about the drug trade in essentially the, the Baltimore city of God. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think there's something to be said for uh, filmmakers who decide to cast real people from the area to really make the film uh, feel authentic. I mean, so much so that I mean, my understanding of of this film is they they filmed this with these people from the city of God and in and the area, and after the film was done, they. Uh, couldn't just let them kind of go back to their life living in the uh, favela. And so they actually, I guess they established it something to try to help get these people um, out of there and get them uh, into, I don't know, better better place to live. So I thought wow. that would build, build a more promising future. And it's just, it's interesting when, uh, when you, when you're, when you realize that not only are the, these people uh, in this film, from that area making this movie but then they're essentially other once the movie is over they would have just been going right back to that world and so it was nice to hear that you know these these filmmakers the cast and the crew tried finding a way to to get these people uh, in a, somewhere where they could have a better future um talk, let's talk a little bit more about how uh, about the uh, cinematography can we yeah uh, because you know there is this We've, you've already talked about how uh, you know how very much this film feels like you are in the you know you, you're in the city of God right you're in the gang uh, and, and particularly when it's you know when we share Rocket's direct perspective you know we get this real sense of terror you know that he is stuck between uh, you, you know this corrupt legal system and this gang and he, he's doing his best to find his way out but can you talk a little bit about what you know Cesar Charlone did to um, to to um, create this uh, this sense of place. It's I mean it really it does give a sense of of this world. Uh, uh, Cesar I guess is from Uruguay. He's not actually Brazilian, but um, he has been working with Fernando on uh, like the looks like the rest of his films, The Constant Gardener, Blindness, 
Um, I, I guess he didn't do 360, but he has certainly worked with him quite a bit. And, um, you know, there's a there's an interesting website called moviesincolor.com that basically takes stills from movies and looks at the color palette within at least the still, maybe not the entire film, but it looks at the color palette of the that particular frame. And they pulled a still from this. And it's, I mean, it's a great shot. It's one of the overhead shots looking straight down like a God's eye view, looking straight down on little Z's gang when they are cleaning out all the other, um, the different, uh, yeah, the when different he's taking control of the, right, they're exactly. kind of like ants in a maze. Yeah, exactly. And so you, it's, a, it's an overhead shot of them as they stand around somebody that they've just gunned down. And it's, it, analyzes the kind of the light, medium, and dark colors, the general spectrum, spectrum, and everything is really browns and greens, and you got a lot of those sorts of tones all through this, which I think gives us a sense of that, um, that feel in, the, in this world, kind of that gritty world. It feels kind of dirty. It feels uh, kind of an old world. It doesn't feel quite as, as fresh and vibrant and you know, new as a new city or something like that. Um, but the other thing that stands out is the fact that we're essentially this God's eye view camera looking straight overhead. And that's something I think is very reflective of, uh, of the, the camera work of Caesar and the filmmaking style of Fernando that is very much uh, this, this energetic pace, whether you're overhead looking down like God at all these, these things that are happening or the camera is zipping around an actor in the street as you're seeing everything going on on you know, all sides of him or just the quick, the quick shots of the knife at the beginning and the chicken and the way that the energy goes on. I was hoping that you know, we talked about Cinemetrics, that, that website, um, a while back it's been, I guess, oh, with like the, time. Yeah. some of our action yeah. movies and stuff and how quick the, the shots were. I was hoping that somebody had broken down City of God because I was real curious how quick the, the cutting was in this, how many shots per second and everything, and um, or the average length of the shots. Nobody had done that, but this is one of those films that feels like it probably has a pretty high rate as far as the uh, how often it's cutting and just the style of the filmmaking really goes along with this energy of the story. And I mean, I think that's, that's why the cinematography was noticed. It really stands out. It helps tell the story. It's very energetic. It does feel, uh, you know, maybe Scorsese-ish, but I think it works so well in creating this, this vibe of this story. It, it does. I like that you brought up the color palette, too. I mean, it, it very much seems to sort of unrestrained highlights. Do you get that feeling? Like it's just there are it, it's it's filmed predominantly in sort of, uh, y- you know, these oranges. Right. It's kind of this this palette of hot. And yeah. and in contrast, when you see the the um, you see the ocean, it ends up a, a beautiful sort of blue green. But that's pretty rare. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you see the reflection of the sun, you know, I was looking at this as I was looking for, for a, a screenshot for the, for the website. And I, I, you know, was noticing that, man, every reflection off of skin, right. Of the sun off of skin, off of foreheads and faces and noses and eyes, it, it's just completely blown out on the top end. Right. I mean, it's just, it, 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 it's like, uh, it, it's very sort of documentarian in yeah. in that respect, right? You you shoot a lot, and whatever you you get that that tells the story you use, and sometimes you make the sacrifice for the quality of the of the frame. And in this case, it feels very much like that. It's just raw and uh, just sort of shot wide open, you know, for the lack of a better phrase. 
Which, you know, I, I think we should also mention, it in, in a way, it works really well tying in that uh, this is based on a true story. And it's the true story of Rocket as he ma- makes this decision in his life to become a photographer and basically becomes, by the end of the film, becomes a photographer for the newspaper. It, it ends up feeling very journalistic, though that kind of slightly blown out look. Right. It works really well in context of the story. So it actually does tie in to the story. And I think that's another reason it stands out because it's not, uh, you know, gimmicky camera work for for the sake of the filmmaker wanting to be crazy. It actually does end up working really well in the story. Absolutely. Uh, it, you know, the other thing that that's nice about it, it's shot very low, you know, it, it and that's that's something that ties to me to the cultural story that it's trying to tell. Right. This is a story of children. And and even as they are teenagers, and as we're seeing them as young adults um, running this sort of massive, uh, you know, crime ring, they mm-hmm. are still children. Yeah. And and so much of the film takes place either at that very low, uh, you know, low to the ground um, angle or very very high, yeah. uh, where we're directly overhead. And I think that tells an interesting story. It's a you know visually where where we get to live where they live and we get to live above them where you know really we live. You know, where we're watching this film, we live here. We live looking down on this. And, and that's a, a painful reflection that, that, uh, that I walk away from this film, you know, having experienced. But I think so much of that comes from how they chose to, to place the camera. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay, Fernando, you have any other uh, thoughts on Fernando? Uh, well, I, I really like him as a filmmaker. Uh, you know, he did uh, after this, uh, he started up a, a, a um, his own little film production stuff in Brazil in the early or in late nineties, I think, or either, or it was either late eighties, maybe it was late eighties. He started, uh, doing some of his own stuff with, uh, some friends there. And I think he broke out in, uh, in Brazil in the late 90s with, um, well, it's called Menino Malquinho 2, which translates to The Nutty Boy 2. So it's, you know, a family film he did. He also did kind of a kid's show, I think. And then he found this book and latched onto it and really wanted to tell the story. And uh, uh, the book written by, I have it here somewhere, um... Uh, 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 Paulo Lins uh, wrote the book, uh, the semi-autobiographical novel, and uh, kind of about how he grew up. And um, I don't know how he got in touch with uh, Braulio, the uh, the screenwriter, but anyway, he he wanted to make this film, and he uh, got the right team. And it sounds like um, he ended up working with uh, Katya. The other, his co-director on this, who, like I said, had done a documentary about this world, and so kind of was already tapped into that. They had, I think, come up together um, through some of these projects, uh, these projects that they had done beforehand. And um, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think it just seemed like the right, the right team to make this story, to have the the right amount of. Uh, politics and everything, but also tell a really compelling character story. And since then, I think Fernando has gone on to direct some just really great films. I mean, I really, really um, 
love the Constant Gardener. I think it's just... Talk a little bit about that, because I'm with you. I I love the Constant Gardener. It's remarkably different for me from City of God. It is. It's definitely, it doesn't feel like it's, I mean, it definitely doesn't feel like it's, you know, in this Brazilian culture. I think that's the biggest thing. And I think that's something about the, the filmmaking style that he had in City of God. Really, after you've gone past that and you've seen the other stuff that he's done, it really stands out that City of God feels very much in its place. It feels like a film made by Brazilians about Brazil and about a world that, uh, you know, they were exploring. The Constant Gardener feels like, uh, and uh, I don't want to say, uh, you know, it just feels like an English language uh, political thriller. And I, it, it has a very different feel to it with very different acting styles, very different filmmaking styles. It still has, I, you know, it still has some of his energy. It's looking at kind of the, it, it takes some of that and translates it to kind of the culture in Africa where these people are living. And I think it does have some of that, but it's just a much different type of story. You know, it's, uh, it's, um, uh, I think it's just a story that uh, that works really well in the context of that world. And again, that was also based on a Jean Le Carré novel, so it kind of is, I guess, different in that way. And then Blindness, if you look at Blindness, I mean, that's that's also very different. It still has its own style. You know, he he does kind of latch on to styles for his films. And Blindness um, is just a really, really unique film that, uh, I, I, I don't know, is really kind of haunting. I don't know. if you Have you seen Blindness? I, that I have not seen. Oh. The, the only it's, two of his pieces I've seen are this one and, and Constant Gardner. Blindness is definitely worth watching. It is a really haunting film, and it just, uh, I mean, it's, it's really kind of creepy when you think about something like this. It's, it's a great film to look at, and uh, uh, yeah, it's, it is definitely creepy. And then, you know, they got into, uh, he did 360, which we talked about, the, we talked about the trailer of that one a few years ago, I think, uh, or maybe last year. Um, I still haven't seen that one, so I can't say anything about that one, but... Um, and then in the mix of all that, he did a, uh, they started a TV spinoff of City of God called City of Men that, uh, you know, it, it seemed like it was a, a pretty good spinoff. It followed a, kind of a different sort of story. It was definitely one more catered to TV rather than film. It has a couple of the same actors, although the, they're playing different roles. And I heard nothing but good things about it. I haven't seen any of it, but I, I hear it's good. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he's definitely a filmmaker that I think is worth watching. He's, it's interesting. He's actually said before that he, um, uh, I don't know, a couple interesting things. He says he really wants to be kind of what uh, the filmmaker like Pedro Almodovar in Spain. He wants to do Brazilian films like that, not necessarily big budget films, but films in his own language that still make it big in the world. But at the same time, he also said... Um, he really enjoys making films in English because it provides for uh, a decent budget so he can do what he's trying to do. <laughs> so it's kind of like that dichotomy of yeah. those two things, you know. And, I mean, he's made a, a good number of English, or three at least English films that I think, uh, uh, you know, has proven that point for him. Well, you know, this is one of those films, and I think we're, you know, the world's getting smaller. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, this is one of those films that I think really highlights the the beauty of, the the foreign language film and the accessibility of the film, um, you know that that comes with a learning a little bit of the language or b just a darn good translation and and it this this feels like uh, you know I didn't get lost in the in the subtitles and and uh, it it was a overall a fantastic uh, experience. Yeah, it is. It's a it really is a 
a great film that uh, I mean, and you know, it also was critically just I mean loved across the board. Yeah. I mean, you know, the critics loved it. Um, the the award people loved it. It was on all sorts of lists. Um, you know, the Empire Magazine has it as the hundred best films of world cinema. Um, you know, the, it was ranked in Film Four as fifty films to see before you die. It, you know, made it on all sorts of lists. It's just all over the place. It's it is a very uh, a very popular film, and uh, you know, it did get four Oscar nominations for a foreign film. I don't know if that's uh, horribly strange, but it it definitely stood out. I mean, they got nominated for best director. What else? Okay. Best cinematography, which yeah, I already said. Yes, yes, yes. Best. Uh... Best editing. That's something else that goes along with that style is the, that pace of the editing, right. I think, works really well. And uh, best adapted screenplay. Did you say and that? And best adapted screenplay. I yeah. didn't say that. By Braulio, um, who, also, who then went on, Braulio Montavani went on to do the uh, Elite Squad and Elite Squad 2, both of which, that, those are two Brazilian films that I haven't seen that I've heard nothing but good things about, so I definitely need to bump those up on my Netflix list to watch those. Uh, this is, uh, well, I, I'm sure you have, you've got more extra stuff, right? I'm sure you do. You always do. I have a few little things. All right. What's your, what's your extra thing? We can, then we can, we can talk budget. The, um, well, first of all, we didn't mention that, uh, Alice Braga or Alicia Braga, I guess is how you say it. Um, we've talked about her before. Yes, we have. The lovely, uh, She's the lovely lady. She is adorable. The lovely lady in red belt, alongside uh, Chewy. Yes. So uh, she, and uh, well, and you know she's she is uh, she's done some good stuff. I mean, she was just just very yeah. recently in Elysium this uh, this year, and I am Legend, and uh, uh, obviously she was in Red Belt, which was. And awesome. she was in Predators with uh, Adrian Brody. Not that and that's that was something. Not, to, yeah, not one of the really major shout the about. highlights. But this this <laughs> film was one of her first. Um, uh, yeah, she she had done another. I think I, I guess Brazilian film Tram, Trampolim. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, but from from here she she went almost immediately on to really interesting things. Yeah, and she's the uh, the niece of Sonia Braga. Another. Yeah great Brazilian actress who was in uh, Kiss of the Spider Woman back in the 80s. Hmm. And uh, let's see, what else? Um, I guess the biggest star in the film, which I, I think is kind of funny, is, uh, I think, I, I don't know how to say his name because it doesn't look like Portuguese, but it looks like uh, Mateus Noctagale, um, who... Carrot. Yeah, yeah. who, is, I, I guess he was the biggest, uh, the biggest star that they had in the film. So... Um, uh, I thought that was kind of funny, and his name just—I don't know—it looks, I don't know—it looks German or something. It doesn't. Uh, well, it's doesn't... not the only one. I mean, there's Philippe Hagensen. It looks yep. like Dutch Benny. Like Benny. Yep. Uh, some... Which I guess I shouldn't be surprised about. I mean, yeah, you know, it's... how many people live in the United States with names that don't look like you know Johnson and things like that? You know, there's no <laughs> Nelson reason. <and> right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh. Yeah, he's uh, he's Mateus Nactagani. Uh, has been in forty eight. He's got forty eight acting credits. A lot of TV. Yeah, he's uh, he's a busy boy. Busy boy. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, it really, you know, we talked a little bit about Benny. Uh, the 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 twist that comes with his character and how he uh, how he dies and how how that 
sort of that's the hinge on which the the end of the film the sort of final escalation mm-hmm. um is is just tragic but i i wonder what that i, I mean i one of the things i love so much about his transformation in particular uh, again, on this sort of cultural reflection, that he uh, he was a thug, uh, right? And he was dealing coke to a another uh, another young man who had red hair, very light skin, and wore, um, you know, like Izod, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> right? And and so. We have then Benny's character who becomes, he says, you know, I've become a playboy. He goes and he dyes his hair. He has this guy buy him lots of Izod, uh, colorful stripes and things, and becomes the most popular hood in the city of God. And right. and that that represents, I think, uh, it's an interestingly sad transformation, right? Yeah, right. That, that what he becomes is, what he strives to be is this image of not poverty, right? This image yeah. of affluence, uh, and and I think dyeing his hair—that ridiculous outcome of his dyed hair—is uh, is a sad sort of case. Uh, you know, it makes a sad case for for what he feels like getting out of the slums is all about. Right. Yeah. Uh, and um, it, that that may be for me kind of the saddest, uh, you know, the, one of the saddest stories of uh, of well, the film. And not just that, but you know, I mean, obviously, a lot of the re- reason that people love him so much is because he is such a nice guy. Right. But it's it's also sad that you know he becomes like the most popular hood in the city of God once he's kind of gone through this transformation. It's like, yeah, did he, did he really have to go through that for people to really you exactly know, latch on to him like that? I mean, it, it is kind of sad, and even. Angelica, you know, she ends up totally falling for him and they want to go, you know, start a farm and grow pot and <laughs> live happy together. Yeah. Uh, but it's it's once he's kind of transformed himself that uh, that she's drawn to him. Exactly. Yeah, it is. It is pretty sad. It and there's sad. definitely a racial element going on in here between uh, the different, I guess, the, the darker skinned African-Americans, the the lighter skinned, the whites, all of that sort of stuff. You kind of get this interesting relationship between the different uh, uh, groups down in the favela and and then also across like the police officers and the different levels of the criminals. It really ends up creating this, this, different, uh, this different vibe of how their relationships are and what they think of each other that... Uh, it does it does add another layer onto this film on top of the political one right right yeah that that you know like i said i mean that to me that's that's the piece of the film that leaves i think the the lasting impression the the violence is is something that's easy to to um to kind of block out but it it's so it, it made such an impact on this viewing for me in fact that i'm i'm adding this one to my course list uh, and I sort oh, of can't nice. believe that I hadn't had it before. I mean, it, you know, when you're looking at the culture of business, um, you know, and the and pop culture representation of business, this is one of those sort of fantastic alter casts of of uh, you know the the reflection of business in in film. And you know, it, this is sort of the counterexample of uh, American Psycho, and and yet they both tell the same story. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's. Uh, 
really powerful way to do it. So, yeah, that's that. Did you, you, even just watching the transformation, just you know, just what you said, just made me think of it. But the transformation of how the drug business was run, which we get in the in the story of the apartment, as we watch it going from the '60s of like kind of this old lady who's just kind of doing it herself and handling things, and then she falls for this guy, and he kind of takes over and and gets rid of her, and then if you see this this slow transformation as the business of the drug dealing gets more and more violent, and as as it leads up to the point when little Z takes over. Yeah, yeah. And then it sort of finds equilibrium, right? That's one of the things I like so much about it, is that that through all of the crazy violence, little Z takes over, and then we find equilibrium again for a time. And, and what does that tell us? Well, it, but and it's 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 such an interesting equilibrium because this is balanced equilibrium that is bound to slip. Yes, you know, it's not. Yes. <laughs> you're not ever going to be able to stay there. Right, right. Yeah, such a great film. What a good one to end our our absolutely first annual foreign film series. Yes. What do you think of that? Or first biannual? First biannual. <laughs> we've already have. Our, <laughs> all right, let's. Uh, <laughs> I'm actually going to pick just like four movies next year in a row and watch like the the Dutch translation of them <laughs> in Dutch over, dubbed. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, did you find anything on budget? Uh, you know, on I did movies? actually. I don't, I don't know if it's. I think that's a first. You're one for five. No, right? we found we some found on. Some? Uh, yeah, I think Lola. I actually, we had some Lola. Yeah, Lola. I found some information on Lola, and uh, what was the other one? I found some on. I can't remember, but um, I, I'm guessing it was because Miramax released it. But yeah, this film was released in uh, in the states in uh, January 2003. It played at Con in 2002, but it was released 2003, and uh, the production budget looks like it was. Uh, I, I'm assuming that they've transfer translated everything over to U.S. dollars when I found this. So three million three hundred thousand was the production budget. Uh, prints and advertising another four million two hundred thousand. So all told, it was about seven million five hundred thousand is what they spent on this film. Uh, domestically here in the states, it made seven and a half million. So it actually did really well for itself. And internationally, it did even better. It made almost twenty-five million. So all told, this film. And then once you adjust it and everything, it ended up making. Uh, adjusted total gross forty million dollars, and then if you look at the uh, adjusted profit per finished minute, about two hundred and thirty-four thousand dollars per finished minute. So it did pretty pretty good for itself. Mm. It's always nice seeing a, a great film uh, do well. Yes, it is wonderful. Mm-hmm. I think we need to uh, flick chart this bad boy. Absolutely. Let's do it. Head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel, and you can uh, check out all of the films that we have uh, talked about on this show, including those we've talked about on our special edition film film board uh, series that happens monthly on new release films. So you can get the whole mix, and we're up to, I don't know, what are we up to? A hundred and we got to be up to close to 130, right? This will be 126. 126. 126 films. And we'll see. Will this debut in the top 100? City of God or Thank You for Smoking? I've got to go City of God. I know, me too. Me too. <laughs> okay. Me too. Uh, City of God or World War Z? <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> there are no zombies in City of God. I'm sorry, Pete. I'm going to go City of God. I am too. Yeah. 
All right, moving right up the ranks. City of God. Oh, now we're getting into the tough ones. Or all the president's men. All the president's men. I got to think about that one. Because <laughs> <laughs> I really like All the President's Men. It is a, a genius piece of film. City of God is just so fresh and alive. Okay, here's how I'm going to do this one. I'm going to go with All the President's Men just because of longevity. It's been around a lot longer. It is a film that I think has stood the test of time and still holds up and is is you know, from beginning to end, powerful filmmaking. City of God, I think, is equally as powerful and I think will likely still be as high in my estimation as All the President's Men when it comes to uh, nearly being 40 years old. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give All the President's Men the edge because it is older and it holds up so well still. Ditto. I, I, I know. I didn't really need to go through all that. Since I was <laughs> no, up. but I'm glad you did because <laughs> you need to say that out loud. That's important. It's why I, I had we to do justify this. it to myself. That's, That's exactly right. Uh, here we go. Getting some good international uh, foreign language film action going on. City of God or Run Lola Run? City of God. Totally City of God. Uh, City of God or The Thing? City of God. <sighs> Are you kidding me? I no I here's the thing. I love the thing and it scares me to death. Um and because of the place in my childhood that that film has, it's really hard to vote against the thing. Because I'm still you know going it to... actually is under your bed. <laughs> because yes, it is under my bed. <laughs> now that you told me that, I won't be able to see. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks a lot for that. <laughs> no, but I will do City of God. All right. All right, City of God. Or the world's end. Speaking of frenetic uh, filmmaking, yeah, right. I'll still go City of God, though. I'm going to go City of God, but I, it's a hard choice for me. I, I think it comes down, honestly, it comes down to genre. Uh, yeah. For me, it just it, and that's a shame. Um, I I think just because I I got an awful lot out of the world's end, um, and and much of that I think is. Uh, very specific to where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and w- what I love so deeply about City of God is the more sort of universality of, of, the, um, of, of the lessons. Right, right. I hear you. All right, well, there we are. Number 17. Mm, 17. That's pretty good. It really uh, shot right up there. I yeah. think this may be the film in our... Uh, foreign language series that moved up the highest. Really? I think so. Run Lola Run is number 24. Let me uh, look through the list here. Um, I think poor Yee probably ended up last because... Uh, because <laughs> it was so hard to watch. You, you just hated it so much. I feel so bad. It was hard to watch. City of God... Run Lola Run, The Diving Bell and the Butterfly. And then uh got really scrolled down now to find uh where is I don't know. This it's is why here. this is why people tune in. Is this is do you <laughs> scroll. Dead air. 
I know it's terrible. It's terrible. Well, uh, I'm, I got. Yeah, I'm going to say I'm. I'm a little disappointed that we didn't hit hit one that that debuted in the top ten. It that feels like a little bit of a loss. Um, but then I just looked at our top ten, and our top ten's pretty strong. We do have a pretty solid top ten. So I, you know, it's it is a little. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. Once you get a top ten, it it can get pretty hard to crack sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. I think pretty good. I really enjoyed these. Films I enjoy exploring uh, these films from other parts of the world that we don't often get to speak of. So it's nice to nice to check it out. You know, I'll tell you what I love so much about these films, and is that it, all of them, even Yi Yi, uh, in none of these stories do you feel any sort of um, like they were making the the subject a toy. Right, an object like they were taking it any less seriously because they didn't have the budget or they didn't have the you know resources or, or whatever. It, it, it they they all feel like such beautiful uh, non exploitational stories uh, of of um, of of just sort of reality of of these people from these countries and I I really enjoyed this this uh, journey. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good group of films. Where do we go from here? Well, as we wrap is, up our year. Yeah, it's holiday time. So we're going to finish up with a couple holiday films. We're going to watch Christmas in Connecticut. And then we're going to end the year or ring in the new year, I should say, with uh, a little Coen Brothers. We're going to do the Hudsucker Proxy. I can't wait for that one. I haven't seen it since it came out. So I don't remember a whole lot. I'm looking forward to watching it again and, and checking it out again. Because hula hoops. <laughs> hula hoops. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Excellent, Andrew. So much fun. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. What'd you What'd you ask Santa for for Christmas? My two front teeth. It's cute. <laughs> that was pretty lame. <laughs> Leave it to me. I gotta go to bed. It's not about the film. Oh, is it just like it's a, like a, a guy? You know, it's a guy saying, and, "And a man who has to weave his way into a world that is not his own." Blah 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 blah. It's like an <laughs> undercover cop drama. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms, but in August 2022. We switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM, and it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content, and we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. 
After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today.